You'll cut it out anyway. <clears throat> I'm not going to cut it out. Check, Let's check. Talk about yeah, it. we're good, dude. We're running. We're up. <laughs> Three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Let's Get Into It. Not from the car. Not from the car. Or not your from iPhone. your cell phone. Oh not from God. Zoom. This is the first time I've been face to face in a minute. We are uh, yeah. about six feet away like from each other. Yeah, five and a half, feet, five and four feet. Um, but uh, but let's. I just want to say. I hope every, everyone who's listening is safe. I hope their uh, their families are safe. I hope you're practicing social distancing. We want to be doing our show because I think it's important for people to hear that. You know, that world's not going to stop. People are going to need entertainment. So here more we so than ever. more so than ever. So here we are. We're going to talk about uh, quite a few things. I want to get into quiver. And what I'm doing with my movie, um, the Porsche film, which is called Love and Betrayal. Love and Betrayal. On the Force, I've added. I've added On the Force. Ooh. Yeah, I added On the Force because like, when you're looking for a film on Amazon and you see the name, like sometimes Love and Betrayal, I mean, it's enticing, it's interesting, but On the Force at least gives you the, d- the definition of it is a police movie. You know, it's about police. So I felt like on the force was an important thing to add, especially if people are just surfing. Oh, what should I watch? What should I watch? And you like police stories and you like true crime. I think it gives you a little bit more stuff. So uh, whether or not that works or not, I'll let you know. But uh, but I definitely did it to add like uh, another level of understanding of, oh, that this this documentary is about love and betrayal. And it's, you know, a a cop story. So. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, uh, thank you, David, Dave. Thank you, Tootie, for being here today. Yeah, thank you, guys. You guys still working? I am. You are? Yeah. Yeah, David, Dave? yeah, yeah. we're doing some stuff, man. I mean, like yeah. you said, the content doesn't quit. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, always, right? You need, yeah. yeah, it's always, there's yeah. always something to create. Yeah. How is, how is access different for you now, Tootie? Uh, I'm one of three. <laughs> really? Yes, yeah, so I'm doing hair, makeup, and prompter. Do you have a picture oh, wow. of, of the crew? Working at Lopez all? does. Oh, can you, let's try to get him post it just yeah. so you can see. What, I think there's uh, a, a couple photos out. Yeah, here. that'd be kind of cool to show a, yeah. <laughs> a crew in today's Corona oh, atmosphere. Yeah. You know, it I looks wonder, it looks like very indie. Yeah, but I wonder <laughs> though how this is going to affect everything in the future because, you know, like Jimmy Kimmel's doing his show from his living room, um, which feels like a public access show. Yeah, but with a, with a, with a dude with a lot of talent. That's the only difference. Right, yeah. right, right. right. <laughs> And, and Jimmy Fallon and stuff, but I wonder what this is going to do for the business. Because are we going to be able to, you know, it, Access is a union show, so there's a lot of people, yeah. you know, who are under contracts and unions and stuff like that. Where like Extra wasn't, mm-hmm. and so Extra literally went from a big crew to you know everybody wearing a bunch of hats and a small crew, and you know, um, I wonder what how this is going to play out because we're doing the show. And yeah, the shows looks good. Let's talk <laughs> about this real quick. You had some trouble a few shows back with an, your editor with your stalled production, yeah. right? Then we had the show about don't be stopped. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and then you connected with Rich Alarcon, yep. who is my editor of choice. Yep, um, very talented. Very talented. Same area from dude. From. You guys are from the same area. A lot of great talent came out of San Diego. He uh, he's. You know, he's been nominated for music video awards. He did. Uh, he did one of my favorite music videos, uh-huh. which is Katy Perry's uh, Friday. Oh, night. I love that one. Yeah. So he he edited that, and it's nice. like a little movie. Yeah, yeah right? it is. I love it. Um, and he did um, Pitbull videos. I mean, he's done. He lived at Paisley Park. He's told me. Yeah. Prince. Yeah. yeah. He did a bunch of Prince stuff. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. But you can tell in this movie they flew the him pacing. in. Prince flew him in. Yeah. 
like in the middle of the night one night to cut this. I forgot what video, but he flew him in and he spent the weekend and yeah. I, maybe a couple of weeks. I think he. No, he was there for with. a while. He's, yeah. he lived at Paisley Park. Yeah, but he's a super That's talented. That. But let's get back to your movie. So you called him. He viewed it. He said, "There's lots to do here." And here's what I love. He wrote to me and said, "Hey, I'm working on Tootie's film. You're gonna love it. You're gonna freak out." Yeah. There was a bunch of footage that was not being used. Wow. Yeah. In this movie, like tons of footage that is making this so much better. He goes angles and mm. and different takes and stuff that they thought was not good. He goes, "I'm using that and making transitions and stuff." And look. We were used to watching films that have great transitions and great mm-hmm. movement. He also said that he was creating an incredible soundtrack with ExtremeMusic.com music. He is, dude. It was really helping motivate yeah. and generate, you know, excitement. He's kicking ass, and him and I are on the same page. And this pandemic actually kind of worked in my favor because Rich didn't have anything to do. Yeah, Rich said uh, your movie's looking good. That it's going to be very impressive, and um, and he also said that the soundtrack's going to be off the hook. So congratulations. Glad you're out of the quicksand. Um, what we talked about before, which I still want to stress, is that, and, and by the way, I took my own advice. Since we did our last show, I am developing two new scripts with two new writers. And, am uh, I one of those? Do I not know you? Uh, well, uh, three scripts, if it's yours too, and, <laughs> with three new writers. And you know, those scripts are going to be ready for pitch on Zoom, via Zoom. I spoke to someone at Netflix just the other day, yeah. they said mid uh, April fifteenth. Be happy to take a new pitch from you uh, via Zoom. Yeah. So that's all happening. Really yeah. nice. Yeah, I like that. See it, that the pandemic is bringing people together. Yeah. Hey, Davy, Dave, and I actually are doing another project, uh, not for film or TV, but for a podcast. You guys are going to be doing a new podcast. Yeah. We're we already have Irate Masterminds, mm-hmm. which is a, a yeah. podcast. What is that podcast about? Is it just about lifestyle and having fun? Yeah, it's uh, it's, yeah, it's um, my brother and um, my other brother. Yeah. So we just get together, talk about the current events, life, memes, yeah. love. Yeah. You know. Do you get? Drink. Do you drink at all? We do. We get uh, your drink on. Yeah, we get our drink on. We get a little loose. And we have some fun. Fun. It's a. It's a. It's just uh, another creative outlet. You know what I mean? So yeah. we get a, So you have you have irate masterminds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what other podcasts are you doing? So Nahara, uh, he had a show called Latino Thought, and he wanted to develop it into a podcast. And then he also did a pilot called Nahara in America, which is like a political satire and kind of like in the vein of like a Colbert show. And he wants to do these. So he hit me up. Uh, uh, we got on a call with his manager. And they said, yeah, let's do it. So um, – uh, and we're going to start working on those two projects. With cool. Them, so. Let's just say uh, Rick Nahar is a super talented guy. He deserves to, you know, to be giving out advice, to be talking to other celebrities. He's he's yeah. worked with some of the best in the business, and uh, and I'm sure it's going to be super successful. And you know, if you want to go back and listen to a, an early podcast, we had Rick Nahar on the show. Yeah. We even had him back as a guest host, mm-hmm. um, and you can hear all about you know Rick Nahar's uh, career as a young writer. He really, his pedigree is, is tremendous. So I, uh, yeah, I highly recommend you go back and listen and also congratulations and good luck on the show. I'm sure it's going to yeah. be a super Thanks. success. Um, if you're sitting at home, which we all are, by the way, um, you know, pull out your computer, write your stories, finish your scripts, get ready for the pitches if you can. Um, you know, I, 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 by the way, I'm pretty sure that at Sundance next year, there's going to be some film that was shot during, During the, pandemic. the pandemic. Oh no! I've already like reached out to my buddy Hermosa, who has an who has a 
Alexa Mini. He's got everything. He's a he's a director. Great place for a horror film right now, right? Just yeah. on the empty streets, on the empty, running on an empty freeway or some yeah, shit. Yeah, but you can't get you can get. Yeah, I mean you could be I'm, real I'm, indie, but I don't know. I'm if, kind of shooting something like that at my house. Are my, you really by do myself? It. Yeah, you should by do yourself? it. Yeah. You should do it. Uh, well, dude, there was a there was a movie at Sundance or maybe Slam Dance uh, a couple of years back that was shot entirely at Disneyland in the Disneyland park without them knowing. Without them knowing. Oh, I think I read something about yeah. that. So it's possible. You can do it. But he had done it years before, right? It took him a while to piece it all together. Yeah. You got to get creative. But, yeah. uh, but it's definitely a weird time. Hey, so I was thinking uh, about trying to get Perry Gilpin on the, on the horn here and talking to her about her career yeah, and what yeah. she's got coming. Are you guys down with that? Oh, yeah. Please. Absolutely. Let's dial her up. All right. Let's dial her up. All right, so we've got Perry Gilpin on uh, the show today. Perry, thank you for being here. Of course. Really appreciate it. Um, Can't wait to hear what we're going to talk about. The crux of our show has always been inspiration, you know, where you came from, what road you took, how you got there. Did you come from a family that was in show business? How did you think about becoming an actress? Well, the... The, the short answer is my mom was a school teacher when I was born. She was very young. She was 19 when I was born. My mother and father were students at Baylor University. My father was wanted to be a, a pastor, but he was a football player at Baylor, and he was studying and wanting to go to seminary. My father was a second-string football player, and he got upset because they put a third-string guy in one day at college at a Baylor game, and he walked off the field, and he walked away from school, and he quit school, and he became a DJ, and he wound up having the top morning radio show in the country in Philadelphia in the 70s. His name was Jim O'Brien. He would take me to the radio station with him, and I would sing happy birthday to people, and he even had a great... um, gig where he was a DJ and he'd do a show from the Gemini drive-in theater in the middle of Dallas. And my mom would take my sister and I up there and we'd watch him do a show, you know, from his booth that was sort of glass encased, like by the concession stand, you know, yeah. and my dad being there doing a show. So of course, I mean, of course, I just was enamored of the whole world. It's what my dad did. It's what I, you know, what I thought was so cool. And then they divorced and my mom married my stepdad she stopped teaching and started modeling. And what she really always wanted to do is be an actress. So my sister and I went and saw her in a play and we'll never forget the lights came down on her because she was supposed to be like on the, you know, on the front porch, like just dreaming because this, this boy doesn't like her yet. She didn't know what to do. And the lights came down on her and my sister yells out, mama from the audience. (laughs) (laughs) It was so sweet. And so we, I just became enamored of acting then. And I think that I was probably about six or seven years old. So between my dad and the radio and being an actress, it, and wanting to be an actress, it's really insane that I wound up playing Roz. It really, 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 really is. It's so perfect. I just knew what I wanted to do from about eight years old. I was walking with my mother and stepfather by Turtle Creek in Dallas. And it's a beautiful walk. And these kids were all outside with a teacher and they were... Um, they were doing these weird things like they were doing all the stuff. And, and, and so we watched them, you know, they were clearly doing it for us, you know, and, and then, and I, and we said, what are you doing? And we're pretending to be cigarette machines. Would you like to try? And so I did, and she thought I did a good job. So I got to join the class and that was my first acting class. Wow. So I just, all my friends growing up said, and they still say, you're so lucky 
you known for such, from such a young age what you wanted to do that gave you such a yeah. head start? There's this great book uh, called The Power of Positive Thinking. And in the book, they talk about, you know, when you're a little kid, you know, in the book, they use this as an example. You know, a kid's walking by uh, a newspaper every morning. He sees the printing press. He sees the people working. And eventually that little boy grows up to own that paper. And they just talk about how the influence around you as you're, when you're a little kid, uh, you start projecting what your life could potentially be. And in a lot of cases, it starts at a very young age, like for you. Um, I swear, I, I was a latchkey kid. I get, got home at three o'clock every afternoon from like, I would say third, around third grade to sixth or seventh grade even, and came home and watched like, you know, I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke, Gilligan's Island, The Rifleman was on sometimes, Have Gun, Will Travel, I mean, all these old reruns that they'd play in the afternoon that were all in black and white, or the Gilligan's Island was in color, and even the Flintstones and the Jetsons and all those, and they're mm-hmm. just all comedies or sitcoms, you know, yeah. so I would just watch, I would just watch those, I, I know most of those episodes by heart, and I swear, I just became, <laughs> did exactly what you just said, I just did what I saw, what I, you know, I picked up on it. Right. I made that my life, I guess. Did you start seriously acting at any point between six and when you were a teenager? Well, my mom, once she started modeling, became, uh, she started doing tons and tons of commercials. And we lived in Dallas and in Dallas, there were, they shot like 40% of all national commercials there. Oh, wow. But also market, you know, the, the, uh, remember in Logan's run, that huge building that they're all in. Yeah. That, that's where they would do the fashion shows. That's where the Dallas market hall is. And so I did fashion shows in there when I was a kid. I like, I, we all were did fashion shows in there. Angie Harmon's mother, Daphne looks exactly like her. And she was a huge model in Dallas. And I did a fashion show with Daphne and when she was pregnant with Angie. Isn't that funny? Wow. But yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I did all, I would do those things with my mom. And so she had like the longest running commercial. It was like, I think it ran for like 14 years for rice a Roni. Yeah, wow. wow. A lot of national commercials. And my little brother and sister did a ton of commercials as kids. Um, they did their first national together at like 10 months old and four. April was 10 months and Margaret four. And so they, they did a lot of that. And we, we were sort of like the Von Gilpins in Dallas. Like my mom would be Mrs. Baird's putting up because Mrs. Baird's bread is a big brand there and she'd be putting the bread in the oven and my brother would be the DQ dude and every time you looked it up the Gilpin was in the local or even national commercials so I kind of grew up around that and um and I really wanted to do that but you know like my mom was very beautiful and everyone was very beautiful I felt like kind of the the ugly duckling of the family Mm -hmm. so I I never felt like very confident about going on commercial auditions and stuff like that so I went to the Dallas Theater Center and like really wanted to learn to act. Not that the rest of them didn't, they, they were naturals, but I still to this day, if I could have my brother when I'm, you know, working on an audition, because he, he was a he was genius. He's a, he's a great actor. Yeah. But he, um, he was in a movie with um, River Phoenix and Molly Ringwald and a bunch of, do you remember this? This was back in the 80s. There were these, I guess, kids would have these suicide packs, like young couple, young teenage kids. And there was a movie of the week about it. And it was Paul Sorvino and Ellen Burstyn were the parents. And yeah. um, 
the kid, Zach, the kid from Goonies. Right. Know, Molly Ringworld had the, were the couple that made the pact. And when he died, my brother gave the eulogy, and uh, and it was he was his best. He played his best friend, and my and he was just brilliant. It was Very a family affair. But it's so funny because we never talked about it. You know, it yeah. never, my mother used to say to me, I don't know why you, you have to be the shyest actress in the world because <laughs> I'm not an extrovert about it, but she is, you know, she yeah. would do, she don't get in the front row. I, I, I never could really get in the front row. You know, I, I don't like to get in the front row, which is bad. Right. You <laughs> get yourself in the front row or forget it. Yeah. yeah, you started training. You started. Uh, you started preparing yourself for an opportunity. Obviously, you love theater. Yeah, I loved theater. I that's how I felt when I walked in that the back door, and it's how I still feel when I walk in a theater. I did apprenticeships and internships. I went to London and studied. I got kicked out of UT drama school. They didn't like my work, and so I went to London. And I and I you know I really loved it. And I was finally doing like this apprentice uh, an internship at Stage West in Springfield, Mass, and um. This, we'd done three shows, uh, you know, in the middle of winter, there were like these eight foot snow banks as we're walking down the street. I am not kidding. And um, some nights we were doing the crucible and there'd literally be more of us on stage, way more of us on stage than in the audience in this beautiful theater. And this old elderly actor was, it was his last show of the crucible. We all went over to have a beer and he came in with his suitcase and I was like, where are you going? Why do you have your suitcase? He goes, well, I got to go back to New York. I got to get back to the city. And I'm, I'm like, why can't you just stay here tonight? You've been here for like three months. And he goes, well, no, my renter is leaving tonight. Cause I, you know, like it was almost like the theater didn't put him up. Right. right. <laughs> like he had to like get back to New York and it was like a three hour train ride. I think they, but I remember going to the artistic director and saying, uh, Greg Boyd and saying, you guys honestly you guys aren't putting him up for the night like are you serious and he goes don't go to LA Perry don't go to LA you'll be ruined you know? <laughs> that's how Roberts feels when he walks the that's usually how it is. <laughs> so how did you get from theater and the work that you were doing and the training that you were doing to uh, either Los Angeles or New York whatever came next well, when I, when I came back from school in London, I went and apprenticed at Williamstown Theater Festival for five years in a row. And in the, from there, I would go and live, I moved to New York. And there just wasn't a lot of work in New York for, for my age and my, my, where I was. Like Madonna was on Broadway in Speed the Plow and Melissa Gilbert was on, off Broadway in a Shana Madel. And I'm like, I either have to go to LA and cut a record or <laughs> to do theater here. And there were no auditions. There's just nothing. So, you know, everyone would always do the big trek out to LA for pilot season. Yeah. And so I, I just, I came out here. Um, a, a funny story was in Williamstown, my last summer in Williamstown, um, my brother and mom and dad came to visit me and they stayed in this little hotel that was across the street from the college and I'd always go over there in the mornings and eat breakfast with them, this young couple that owned it. And I'd tell them all the funny gossip around Williamstown. And, you know, every, they, we were great friends. And so my mom and dad were staying there and my brother. And um, this this manager came with Dylan McDermott because Dylan McDermott was doing a play there. Yeah. And, um, and the manager saw my brother 
And he said to the people that own the hotel, who is that kid? And he's, they said, he's here visiting his sister. And he goes, do you think you could introduce us? And they, they said, only if you meet her sister. <laughs> 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 so we met him together and my, and, and, uh, and my brother said, I'll, I'll go with you, you know, if you take my sister. It was really, uh, so then I was, got to New York and I was, uh, would sit in his office while he talked and he was a very funny man. I still, his name's Jerry Silverheart. He's a lovely man. And um, I met Cam Watson through him because he represented him. And, and uh, that's a crazy story, but, but we decided to come out here together and share an apartment. And we got out here and the writer's strike, it was the year of the writer's oh, strike. Oh, that's right. 86 or 87. Yeah. So we were, you know, we didn't know what to do. We were both going back and forth. We could, we had to like be sort of be trying to be bi-coastal. Do you remember that term when everyone was yeah. bi-coastal? It was mm -hmm. impossible, you know? Now you could probably do it because of self-tape and everything. But then I mean, you, could, you, you couldn't do it, especially if you didn't have a ton of money. Right. You know? so, so we had to sort of choose. And I gave up my apartment in New York. I, and then and and uh and and moved to LA because also I, I have my old day runners. It was like I'd go from one audition a month to like forty a month in pilot season. Right. So that kept you that kept you uh you know fresh because you were constantly going in for people and, and working on things. Right. Sitting there, and then uh, a friend of mine gave me sixty thousand dollars that she had raised to do a play, but she gave it to me because she said, I want you to pick the play and I want you to put my boyfriend in it. <laughs> oh, that's so indie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So a friend of mine, Neil Lerner, and I read all these plays and ones we liked, we'd get everyone together and we'd say, do you think this is worth the 60 grand? And we got one shot here. Do you think this, and people would go, no, no, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. And finally, about the fourth one, everyone loved it. And it was called The Moderati by Richard Greenberg. And it was based on, he wrote it while he was at Yale Drama School. So it's based on Chris Noth and Patty Clarkson and yeah. people that, you know, you know, and that we knew. Yeah. And it's a brilliantly funny play. And we did it at the Tiffany, which was at that little theater. On yeah, Sunset. it used to be on Sunset Boulevard. Sure. Yeah. And Jeff Greenberg casting producer of Cheers, just about to be casting producer of Frasier and came to that and he saw me on Monday and I got to work ever since pretty much. Wow. I've had some peaks and valleys but but I mean I he it was great because that's not why we did it though and we had Ron Link directing and what I mean is we really did that play and and like Siobhan Fallon was in it I don't know if you guys know who she yeah was. sure right just asked me she just called me about two months ago and said she calls me little squirrel because i was named after squirrel, and she goes, little squirrel. And mara tierney just dropped out of this movie i wrote will you come and do it and i was like yeah just where do i go tell me and i went and did it in this amazing film that we just did so and that went back to like i produced a thing i mean like literally went and washed everybody's clothes we had such a good time and then I got to be in something she produced, which was really That's amazing. Cool. So, all right, so let me stop you. That's cool. That's amazing. At this point in your career, you you were studying, you were in New York, you were doing plays, you came here, someone believed in you and in your talent and said, I have this amount of money, pick something, be in it, make it great. And out of something that you had no idea would turn into anything. I was driven. It's like I had to because yeah. that's what I do. But I, you I, didn't know yeah. that anything would come of it. No, that, exactly. I know what you're getting at. But I think it's really cool because from there came sort of the beginnings of, uh, you know, what ended up being a 
pretty great career for you. Yes. Without your commitment to being prepared, a lot of things wouldn't would not have happened. You were just a great actress. You had it in you since you were a little girl, and um, and as a result, you know, great things ended up happening when you took the initiative because you were driven. So yes. that was it. Well, well said. <laughs> That's all I was going to say about that. <laughs> Did you get the 60 grand back or did it, did it all yeah. go away? We, we broke even. Did we didn't lose it. Yeah, we did okay because it was a beautiful, beautiful production. I mean, Ron Lee oh directed it. Was, I know. It did her cool. boyfriend become a star after that? <laughs> and he wasn't in it. He oh, wasn't what? He it. wasn't in it. I don't know what happened. I can't remember. My boyfriend was. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it was. boyfriend in it? No, it It was okay. Even John, her boyfriend, was okay. But she had. <laughs> She had a bunch of money that she, besides that 60, she had a couple of hundred thousand dollars that she had given to Bob Evans. She wanted to be a producer. And it was when Bob Evans was in the Lubitsch building at Paramount. At Paramount, right. And she had given that to him. And then there something went out around that time. So, so, so she was, they were working on The Saint. And I think they were hoping that she had some money for The Saint. And she was going out to, she lived in Chicago and she was raising more money. So she, she and her boyfriend and I went over to that house, to Robert Evans' house. Is that why Christian knows where he lives? Because you knew where, okay, but his house. I don't think everyone knows where he lives. Because he talks about not. being next to the, to the women's, the Beverly Hills Women's Club, because he was yeah. such friends with Norma Shearer. Yeah. She was right there too. But she, but he, he, um, it was just hilarious because, you know, we were playing tennis and you know, we were being watched playing tennis, you know, and I, I couldn't make one shot and I, I was not a sexy tennis player. And, you know, I was like <laughs> throwing the racket across the thing or, playing, you know, like I didn't, I wasn't asked indoors, by but, but it was okay. But what was really funny was um, going in, riding into Paramount to do Frasier and hearing, you know, listening to him read, you know, the kids days in the picture right. in his own, you know, like in driving by his, practically his office or you know he 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 was a real character christian he got him he was sort of wandering into the women's room once at the beverly hilton uh-huh. i go christian go get him you know he's wandered in there and christian said he tried to go get him and he was like get away from me you know like oh. <laughs> but that's that i mean come on he's he's funny it's such a weird business because magic happens every day for people it really does. Like magic yeah. happens. You could be broken in a phone booth with your last $30 and get a call that, you know, you're doing a series or a movie or whatever it is that may change your life. I'm really? waiting on that call. <laughs> still wait- Are you still waiting on that call, Teddy? I'm still waiting. Don't I'm still waiting. <laughs> It'll happen. No, but you think about people like Robert Evans and you think about his story and he feels very indie. You know, he, uh, he, fought, uh, he fought to keep Paramount alive. He took a bunch of risks. When he did Love Story, which was a you know an amazing movie, it saved uh, Paramount. So I think it's just fun to talk about you know how people make it. It all feels very indie. It all feels very magical. I didn't know the story about the, t- the Tiffany's. I'm so impressed and uh, and amazed that you that you did that. And by the way, you got all the money back. That's such a rare story. So you did the play. You had rave reviews. You uh, it was a success. And then you started, you met a bunch of people that ended up sort of shaping what ended up being your career. Yeah, Jeff Greenberg, you know, who I just owe everything to. And, and, and he brought me in for Jimmy Burroughs 
Okay, so what had happened was about a year before that, I had done a horrible play called Normal Doesn't Mean Perfect. And it was a comedy and I really wanted to learn about comedy. So I would drive out to Bullflower and rehearse in some guy's apartment. And we were working with a director who was from college and we were doing this horrible play at the Pico Playhouse where they used to have the baseball play every night. I'm talking about the, it's a great play. But it had run there for like 20 years. I think it's still running there. It's like on Pico, right by Motor, right by... Uh, oh, right, right by, uh, by Fox. By Fox, yeah. So um, the thing that was interesting about this was I, I kind of learned about... He, this teacher did teach me some rhythms that I got very, you know, confident about sort of just some technical ways to do comedy because... A lot of times I think actors, and I know I did this, I'll speak for myself. I felt like comedy was kind of a magical thing that you hoped would happen and you, you didn't want to jinx it, you know, and there's actually some technical things you can do to lay the groundwork for it to, 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 to land or to fly, you know, and, and depending on which metaphor you want to, but you know, there are some things you can do to help it. And then, and then, you know, experience helps and great writing is the key and um so this play I got to practice that well literally that was another one of those plays where there was more of us on stage than there were in the audience and there were only like three of us on oh stage. my god so, <laughs> but but one of those people was Jeff Greenberg and right. because he would see every play in town he'd go and check out all the actors because that is how good he is and he wanted to know that he's professional and wanted to know who was out there and the fresh actors that were coming in. So he, um, he had me come in for wings. So when I read for wings, he was casting cheers at the time. And so I, this was supposed to be the daughter of a Greek immigrant running his coffee shop. So I go in all in black, right? Cause I want to be anyone you want me to be right. I, I don't want to dress any other way. I'm just a blank canvas. Right say, I have a question. He goes, yeah, what is it? And I said, is this a Diane or a Carla or a Rebecca? Like I named the three women from Cheers, you know? Right. And he goes, uh, what, what, why don't we just read? So <laughs> <laughs> I read and then he goes, okay, I have two questions. First of all, it's Spokane, not Spokane. And I go, okay. And, and he goes, and the second question is, how much better can you look? And I said, oh, my God, that's why I was asking. I mean, I can look a lot better. And he goes, how? What do you mean? And I go, hair, <laughs> makeup, clothes. I just, I don't know. She's the daughter, she's the Greek immigrant running a coffee shop on a municipal airport on an island. I mean, how? And he goes, Perry, it's TV. Let's stack the deck. <laughs> wow. I, I, I went away and I came back in all dolled up. I go in and they decide that they want me to play the part. And then I go in and I take all my, they make me bring my clothes in to meet with David, Peter and David. And they pick out my costume and my hair really curly. So, um, you know, they, I, I just I'm really curly hair. So, and then I just had these red shoes. I'll never forget. And David Angel's that uh, brother was like the, cardinal of connecticut you know like he's the highest catholic man in 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 connecticut and so 
when I pulled these red shoes out, David goes, where did you get those, the Vatican? (laughs) 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 It was just really fun. So I go in and I go to the audition, I go to the network audition and I'm there with Steve Weber and, and Tim, Tim Daly. How did I go lose that one? And David Schramm, God rest him. He just passed away and Rebecca Schaefer and, you know, all these people were there and I go in and read and I will never forget Sheila Guthrie, his associate at the time came running out and she goes, Perry, Perry, um, you are, you're, you're making too many facial expressions. You're, you're making too many, you've got to slow down and make, stop making so many facial expressions. So I'm like, oh my God, what does that mean? And we just start running it over and over again. And then someone goes, does anyone have a cigarette? And I'm like, I have one and we're not smoking it till I come out of that room. (laughs) (laughs) And so we, I went back in and I, I, um, I just was so flummoxed, right? So I go back to the theater to do, you know, this play where there's no one in the audience because it's so horrible. And I get a phone call from my manager and he goes, I don't know what happened today. They're very on the fence about you, but they want you to come in and do a screen test on the cheer stage tomorrow at Paramount. And I'm like, uh, you know, it's just so much for, if you've never done anything like that before, it's so huge. So I, I, I hang up the payphone in the alley. This is payphone. There's no cell phones. I go backstage and I look at everyone and I go, I have a screen test at like 1030 in the morning. And they go, get the fuck out of here. Go, go, get out. You know, and we didn't do a play. We didn't do a performance that night, which is terrible. But I don't, I don't think anybody was in the audience anyway. So That's I think hilarious. it was okay. But it was really bad form to do that. But it was like, it was like, I, I just was, I thought my head was going to explode. So the next day I go, I get there an hour early. There's a lady walking around in the parking lot. I park my car and this woman comes to me and she goes, are you Perry Gilpin? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, I'm Roz Doyle. I'll be the producer of Wings. Come with me. I knew you'd be here early. What? Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah, that's named after. Right. So she took me into uh, makeup and hair, and she pointed out what she wanted done and what she thought needed attention, and in the coolest way. And they got me ready, you know. And I go out on the cheer set. Now this later became the Fraser set. This all whole thing happened on stage twenty five at Paramount. But so I'm I'm at the bar, and I've just got a rag, you know, and I'm trying to clean the bar, like I'm at on the cheer set. I could barely breathe, but the thing was, I had the line where I had to say, what is that smell? And then, did you, did you, is that peaches? You know, and it was, he'd use peach shampoo or something. I was supposed to be kind of making fun of that. So Jimmy Burroughs was going, it's, it's a good smell. It's a good smell, you know? And so, okay, this, okay, I'm going to speed this up. So I couldn't do, I think what he wanted me to do. So in, I had this book club and in the book club was this guy named Russell who was, who was Jimmy's assistant. So through later on, you know, I, I went through, I did not get that part clearly, but later on when I went in for Frasier, I called Russell and I, and I said, actually, no, it was another, it was called Flesh and Blood. So the next time I went in for Jimmy, it was for a show called Flesh and Blood, which I wound up getting, but I called Russell and I said, just tell me what I did wrong on the wings thing. Just tell me, tell me, tell me, what did he say? He had to say something. And Russell was like, I think he might've said that you didn't 
know how to take direction. I don't know. I don't know if that's what he said, but I think that's what I heard, you know? And so I'm like, if this man tells me to fart the star spangled banner, and I, and, and so I really do think, and also I was doing the moderati. I was on doing on stage every night, doing a play, right. a really difficult comedy. So I was warm and I was on my game. And when I went in and if somebody gave me direction, I could change. I didn't, it was like, it was, something I was doing all the time you know so that's another great reason to, to be doing a play you know is right. just stay stay warm stay stay ready to go so so that was great so I did that with Jimmy and then I did another series with Jimmy and then I did the fourth to the last episode of Cheers because Jeff Greenberg played this joke he had me come in his office and he goes Perry um read this do you have any idea who could play this part because I've just been racking my brain and I'm like, yeah, you know, Andrea Dishy would be great for that. And I gave him like six names. You know, goes, well, they were wondering if you'd want to come in and do that tomorrow. And I went, what? Are you serious? I get to be on Cheers. So I got to be on Cheers and it was Woody gets an election and I played a, a reporter that goes in and, um, you know, does writes up an article that gets Woody elected to city council. But to be there for that, and they were throwing spitballs at me the whole time, and you can see it on film. You can see them throwing <laughs> stuff. And uh, they were so much fun. Plus, you know, Jimmy had like, he was doing pieces from the next four shows, including the finale. Yeah. It was a three ring circus on that set. It was the most amazing time to be there. So what's really interesting about, from the time that you did the play to what you're talking about now is that you're really talking about TV royalty, the best of the best. Uh, when it comes, when you're talking about Jimmy Burroughs, when you're talking about Wings, when you're talking about Cheers, you know, you're talking about the people that created the best shows in television, and you were sort of there at the in the epicenter. That's amazing. That's remarkable. It is. Yeah. I don't know how I landed there. I don't know how. Somebody told me a great thing early on. Uh, it was at my at the modeling agency in Dallas when I do like some classes in the summer, like TV classes, which I know nothing about. I know nothing about how to set up any of these cameras on for Zoom or any of this. But she said I was worried about. So she goes, you know, worrying is not going to get you a job. That's right. just worrying about it. It's not. That's just gets you nowhere. And that was just a really, you know, when someone says something to you at the right time and you're in the right frame of mind and you go, oh yeah, I, this isn't going to happen for me worrying about it. I got to go do something. Right. It's just very magical and it's fun to, uh, to go down memory lane, especially um, when you realize that it's not always a beautifully paved road to success. You know, there's all these ifs, ends, and you don't know if it's going to work out and you're terrified and, and you're nervous and, and you don't get things and then you do. And then it changes your life forever. Then magic happened. Then you ended up on a show that was on television for 11 years. America loved the show. The um, chemistry that you guys all seem to have, you know, none of us obviously knew you, but we're watching the show and there's something, you know, the chemistry, I think, and the writing is what made the show such a hit and, such, and, and had such longevity. What, how did, did that, was that day one when you just walk in and, and, and that kind of comfort with other actors and like your family? You know, we've all talked about that for years and we, 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 we just don't, I don't know. It was truly lightning in a bottle. 
But there were a lot of great factors. You know, Frasier was the continuation of Cheers. They were on the same soundstage. They literally took away Cheers stage, and I think they took it to the Smithsonian. And then they built a Frasier stage. A few weeks later, they were shooting a pilot. So it still had the same crew. The only new people on that soundstage were David and John and me and Jane. Everybody else had been there for years. Right well-oiled machine you couldn't hide they knew all your height they knew where to find you and um and we were all I think it was our theater backgrounds we all wanted to do a really good show for the audience because that was our our impulse and we didn't want to mess up a a few maybe a a, a couple of months in we realized the audience really likes it when you mess up you know and then also John said you know if you mess up and they put it on bloopers (laughs) You get an extra three hundred and fifty dollars, but you got to go get in the scene with them. So then, <laughs> like someone would mess up, everyone would run over and go, "Oh, too bad you messed up!" So you could get your three hundred and fifty bucks from. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> All the time, but that would crack us up. You know, I think a lot of it. I want to say with each person, Kelsey said this yesterday in the thing we did. He said, I fell in love with each of these people over and over again. And I just think we all liked each other so much. There was such, everyone had such a, um, John was our dad, but he wasn't old enough to be our dad. You know, he wasn't old enough to be Kelsey's dad. He's only like 10 years older than Kelsey, but he, he, he kept everybody's head down. You know, Jane was this English, Jane and John were the two people that would, that came from, you know, a, a, a penny do you know how hard it is to earn a penny? Like John got a lighter from the gas station with a tank of gas once. And um, then he decided to quit smoking and he'd shown us this lighter. He goes, you know, the gas station gave me this lighter because I got a tank full of gas. And so when he quit smoking, he gave Jane the lighter, you know, like you take the lighter. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like really salt of the earth people and 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 just down to earth and then and, and David is just so full of love I just don't know how else to say it he's just a loving smart cool guy and so talented and so you know uh, uh, disciplined and everybody just I think in Kelsey Kelsey just wanted it to be fun he goes the minute this becomes drudgery the minute that's going to read and we just need this to be fun and he didn't want to stay any longer than we needed to we literally would rehearse like two or three hours a day we'd shoot the the shows in four hours sometimes you know each show was different but he he and Jimmy Burroughs totally you know I don't know maybe maybe Kelsey learned a little bit of that from Jimmy because Jimmy would see you rehearsing in a corner and go stop rehearsing keep it fresh you know (laughs) stop just let it happen and so it just became this, you know, Saul Rubinette came and called us the Flying Melindas. You know, he, he's like, you got to be fast to come here. Because it, we all had to learn to be fast because Kelsey was fast because he'd been doing it for nine years. You know, mm-hmm. he knew his character and he knew, but that was okay. It didn't, if he, if you said, Kelsey, I have to rehearse that again, he'd do it. It wasn't that he, he just, his natural speed was to, He'd say, let's kick this pig. You know, let's go. Let's go. Right. Right. <laughs> one um, time he went off stage and stood at the door and screamed because no one was going to <laughs> <laughs> Timing is everything in comedy. Sometimes a joke won't hit if, if the, the timing of the scene is off. But you guys seem to be, I mean, there was so many jokes on every page. Yeah. 
um, it just seemed to be like a constant, you know, you guys constantly had to hit the punchline and then kind of move right into what was coming next because the next thing was going to be either as funny or funnier, right? It, it had to be that way. Otherwise the show couldn't really sustain. Jimmy had a way of knowing in the back of his head, he knew if you were going to, he knew if you were about to blow up, but you were going to fix it. He knew if you were about to blow up, but you couldn't fix it. He knew what was, and he would always stop to find a way to say, oh, what cut? What, what happened over there with that light? You know, he, he just wanted to keep the laugh line clear. So yeah. he wouldn't blow it. He wouldn't let us blow it in front of the audience. And then once he'd done that a million times, you learned to do that for yourself. So you'd like get out, if you knew that you weren't set, setting yourself up well enough or you weren't, the setup didn't work, you could just go, whatever you need to do to give the audience a fresh run at, you know, at it. So, so that, like you said, things could build and build and build. Yeah. It's amazing. It was but, an amazing show. I, I look you know, it's all in the writing. I'm telling you, it, 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 we all will say that. And we all did say it over and over again. It, no. the, opening that script was like, uh, it was just like candy. It was right. like Christmas when you got that script. Like what incredible thing are you going to, do I get to do this week? Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it was definitely, it was uh, absolutely a team effort. You guys were all, um, you know, the best of the best, the best television show ever. Let me ask you this last question about, about Frasier. Did, you know, you guys went 11 years, which is a lot, a, a long time. Did you ever feel like it, were you ever worried it wasn't going to get picked up? Like, with, did you finish the sixth season and go like, huh, I wonder if we're coming back or did it get picked up for numerous seasons at one time? You know what was interesting was of all the, I did three pilots kind of in a row and the other two were put pilots. Like we, we didn't even do it. We did a pilot in 11 episodes or 12 or whatever with that one. It was, it was a pilot and we had to wait to get picked up and, and there was a, and we were, we didn't know if it was going to get picked up. And there was a standing ovation at the the night of the that the pilot shot on the stage. Oh. And we're like, people probably might get picked up, but no one could take it for granted because you can't, you know. Right. So when we got picked up, you know, we were super excited, and we only got picked up for seven, you know, whatever the 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 thirteen. Right. So I will never forget David Angel, Peter Casey, and David Lee coming on the set and standing in the bleachers and going. We got the back nine, you know, and everyone was like, "Yes!" <laughs> so yeah, that none of, we did that first season. We did not take any of that for granted. Yeah. Then after that, we we we, we were pretty sure we were going to get picked up. So you knew you were an all star team. You knew that. We knew, and we also we you know you, back then everyone knew the ratings and all that stuff. You you knew you know right. you knew much more than you know now. But also the whole thing was we tried so hard to enjoy it and we pinched ourselves every day and we talked about like we're never going to have a job like this again this is never going to happen again we're just so lucky to be here and we talked about it all the time because we you can't have another job like that you just you're never going to be that age you're never going to be at that place in your life where you can really enjoy it you're never going to be just the all the it was the perfect storm Right. That's so fun. Well, congratulations on that. Um, it's really inspirational, just your, your whole journey from, from Texas to, to Frasier um, and how it happened. Because it, it, it doesn't sound like it was perfect and easy. It, you know, it, but when it did happen, it was, it was magical. So, um, wow, that was awesome. She, uh, you know, super talented. Perry has had a storybook career when you think of, you know, people that have been on shows for over 10 years. You know, Frasier was... 
a super hit. I Can think. I say something? Yeah, yeah, please. She was uh, one of my TV crushes back in the day. You know what? Mine too. Jeez, man. She is that is, true? Yeah. yeah I, I, mean, was, I was too embarrassed to say anything. Yeah. yeah. I met her husband in New York with Robert hey, Oh, that's right. Take it east. Take that's it right. That's right. No, he didn't hang out, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're all Bell. He started telling me the story. I was like, this is the movie. Let's write a script. He's like, let's do it. Remember? Dude, he's so positive. He'll, he'll, yeah, anything you want to do. His story was really cool, though, about living up there in upstate with all those artists in that house. He's a very, very successful, talented guy. It's funny because when I, um, you know, the way we all met is our kids went to preschool together. Yeah. And, you know, when you go to preschool, you meet, you meet people here and there. But we, uh, we had, you know, our kids became close friends. And as a result, the parents end up becoming friends. Yeah. But we were... <coughs> Sorry. Oh, shit, dude. Jesus. I need some... Fuck. Sorry. Is that- you got it? Pandemic. Um, <laughs> we were at a school fundraiser, and they were bidding on a parking space. And, you know, in preschool, it's like it's impossible to park, right? You're dropping off kids mm-hmm, and people mm-hmm. running across the street. So we really wanted the parking space. So him and I sort of looked at each other and were like, you know, half-sees? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, half-sees. Right? We didn't know each other that well. So he's bidding, and... Other people are bidding, and the thing's getting like up there, right? That's and cool. I could just tell, I could see his, the look in his eye. He was like, "I don't, I'm not going to lose." <laughs> he, he just sat up in his like super cool suit, and he was just yeah. like lifting He's a his big dude. Yeah, yeah. And we got way up there to the point where I was like, "Oh shoot, I don't know if I'm yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm in at this level." Yeah. And then we just got outbid, but. But oh, you we, didn't get it? No, we didn't get it. But we became really close friends because in that, you know, in that stress level of... It's like a little short film. Yeah, exactly. Of bidding on the parking space, yeah. we, became, we kind of connected. So uh, Christian Vincent, one of my actually closest friends. I love the guy. I love Perry. You know, yeah. we, we just had a uh, Zoom date. Him, his, him, Christian, Perry, myself, and Ann had a Zoom date where we were on the phone for wine? like... Yeah, we drank wine. I actually, Ann and I drank tequila. They drank, um, I think, uh, vodka sodas. But anyway, super talented, uh, is one of our finest actresses, uh, super nice person, great mom, and, uh, and a really good friend. So I, am, I, I know the great things are coming. Uh, yeah, I kind of wish, I, I wish we could work with her. I wish uh, I had the opportunity to do something with her. But uh, her and I are developing a script. And uh, and hopefully we'll be doing something. How with about that develop soon. one with Davey Dave and I, dude? This is jacked up, dude. I tried to do something with Davey Dave. <laughs> I, when I first met Davey Dave, I came to him and That's I said, true. "Let's do a thing about let's do a movie where memes and in and and uh, social media are the crux of the storyline." So, in other words, your story is driven by the mystery of memes. Yeah. And and social media, so you have to find clues within the memes to get to where you want to. But here's the, the, end of here's the, the thing too with that. Someone actually thought of that. I think Seth Rogen's got a meme movie coming out. Oh, That's, oh does he really? Yeah, bastard. Yeah. So, but it's crazy because memes you get it like you get a lot of people checking your shit out like yeah. The Rock and yeah yeah there's a bunch of celebs on my big, stuff too yeah. Sl- yeah I mean that's how we met yeah exactly Lopez, yeah he was on Lopez my thing Lopez started following Davy Dave and then one day I see Davy Dave in the here at Extra yeah. when I was on Extra. Just chilling, yeah. and then like, he, who's this fool? Yeah, I was like, "Who's this fool?" Oh, I guess oh, I know that. I said, "Who's this that, fool?" I said, "That's the hip hop James Dean. <laughs> that's what's up." <laughs> um. Anyway, and, okay, funny. take it easy. Yeah, take, it take it easy. So we're gonna have a new mixer uh, next week. I hope. It's going to have uh, call-in capabilities, so people will be able to call See, in on our cell Pandemic's even changing. Let's get into it. That's what's up. Yeah, no, we're growing. We're growing. We're growing. And uh, no, I just, you know, just want to say, everyone stay safe. Everyone stay calm. 
um, might get a little bit worse, but, uh, you know, we're in it together. We're, I think we have to stay positive and you know, it's funny. I take a walk with my wife every day and it helps so much because sometimes I'm in the, I'm in the house and I'm, I, I start to feel uh, a little bit afraid and a little bit nervous and I can't quite figure out like what I'm feeling. And then, you know, you get out in the day and you see the sun, sun and you see the trees and you see people walking around you you realize it's gonna be okay so i gotta say getting out is 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 a big uh is a big factor and dudes okay so i'm so glad i thought of it i I remembered this um that's time to wake up so last night i get a little gwen fetich right Mm -hmm. i sit down with my wife my wife starts to get into her really comfy cocoon where she's like oh i'm so comfy i don't want to move right now (laughs) so i'm sitting there and I'm watching like some documentary about uh you know the first guy who was on a you know on a, in a bicycle that flew 20 feet in the air off of a ramp and and my wife turns to me and she goes you know what the last thing I want to do is lay here and watch a documentary about some dude jumping on a ramp so I was like okay so I go I go through the, I go through the channels and I find the, a few good men just starting so I'm like oh that's interesting so I go to a few good men and I felt so old, dude. Because have you guys Don't seen a few, have picture. you guys seen a few good men? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but that twenty years ago. All right. Yeah. So I put it on, and every single scene is amazing. Every single word out of these dudes' mouths, like Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, um, Jack Nicholson, um, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon was in it. Uh, shoot, I, I, I could probably name, there was so many good actors in it and yeah. every scene was a building scene. I mean, you could watch it and it could be like a clinic for good filmmaking. If you think about how that film starts, you know, to where you end up in that scene where uh, Jack Nicholson admits that he called the code red. Yeah. It's the most incredible building of a movie to where it climaxes in this courtroom with him, with Tom Cruise going after him when he knows he could be court-martialed, when he knows he could lose his career, mm-hmm. and he goes after this decorated, you know, whatever. General. So what is it? Is it the script? Is it the directing or the acting? Or is it all the above? You know what? If I had, I'm going to break this down in like 10 seconds. If I had to, if I had to tell you how I felt, I actually teared up a little bit. And it wasn't because of the subject matter. It was because of the good work. Because I felt so emotional about how important it was to these actors and to the director and to the people involved with this picture. I was emotional. I was like, this is amazing. You know, like they thought about everything that's coming out of their mouth. They thought about every angle of every camera about what they were wearing yeah, and how important the Marines were to yeah. these guys. Right. And a code and honor. And it made it was it was a crazy thing to watch because I had seen the movie probably twice, but there was something really amazing about knowing that Tom Cruise thought about every single word coming out of his mm-hmm. mouth and what it represented, and so did Jack Nicholson. It yeah. all was like if it doesn't happen the way they say it, if the, if it if he doesn't entice that dude and aggressively go after him. I mean, there's so much going on on in that one particular scene when Tom looks at you know. Uh, looks at his co-counsels and they're like shaking their head like, don't do it. Don't go after him. It's not worth it. Yeah. And then Jack Nicholson gets up and walks right by him and he goes, I haven't dismissed you yet. And he's really rude to him. And he's like, you know, I then he, then Jack Nicholson says, you've got to respect me. And then he tells the judge, 
you know, what, what kind of operation are you running here? And then the judge says, I think you need to respect this courtroom. And then when Tom goes after Jack Nicholson, you can see Kevin Bacon stand up in the background going, judge, I, you know, he's trying to object, but Tom is so far into the aggression with, yeah. with, this, with the witness that you can't even hear Kevin Bacon. He's on a mission. Yeah, and they've locked horns already, so there's no way to stop it. But all of that, if that dance doesn't get choreographed with people who care, I bet you they talked about it for a day. I bet you they talked and just talked, and how are we going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to stand up, and the camera's going to be here, and I'm going to see that guy in the background. It was the craziest thing. Or those actors just that good where they felt it and just went with it. I mean, but yeah, Yeah. it had to to matter the same to everybody on yeah. the set. It had to matter. Every single one of those dudes had to care as much as every other person. Yeah. And that's, I think, what makes a good film. And when you see it happen in front of you, you're like, yeah. I don't even know what to say. That's kind of like Made in Mexico. It's coming together just like, you might tear, you're going to tear, I don't think you might, you are going to tear. I'm already tearing up. It's <laughs> <laughs> so that was, a, that was a confession about that movie, but it was, it was incredible, dude. It made me want to see more Tom Cruise stuff. It made me want to see more Rob Reiner stuff. Rob Reiner directed it. Yeah. And get, oh, yeah. who did the music? Extreme music. Mark Shaman. Oh, yeah. Dude, That's your, boy, our boy. your boy Mark Shaman. Mark Shaman did the music. That's so, right. you know, all of it, look, sometimes... It comes together. We can't, as filmmakers, always make everything work. But sometimes it really does come together. And it's all in the eye, in the eye of the beholder. I'm sure some people may watch the movie and not think it's as great as I think it is. But when filmmakers, actors, directors, when they're honest and they care and they take their job seriously, that it just comes through, man. And, you know, I, I personally, I think Tom should have probably won an Academy Award for... You know, for a couple of movies he did. Uh, Born on the 4th of July, he should have won. Or at least been nominated. Maybe he was nominated. I don't even remember. But, uh, you know, Rain Man, yeah. for sure, should have been nominated. And, yeah, and I is, think A Few Good Men, it was. Uh, I was Last watching it going like, holy he's done, he's shit. Good work. Yeah, so I, I probably spent too much time talking about that. But I was massively, I was massively moved by the Glenn Fetish and the pandemic and watching that film and just thinking like, man. That is that is that is you something why, that you don't see that often anymore. And is it because I'm old? Because old people say they don't make movies like that anymore. I'm tell you what. You know why, Roberts? Because you can't handle the truth. <laughs> what do you want? I want the truth. Oh man, it was amazing. Anyway, well, um, guys. What a pleasure! It was it's, it was Good great to, to get out of the house for a second yeah. and, and no just, beers on this one. And just, huh? No beers on this. Place. No beers. No no tequila. Um, it was great to get out of the house, see you guys, uh, do the show, uh, talk to Perry. Um, but uh, you know, let's do it again next week. Hopefully, hopefully things calm down. Doesn't sound like it's going to, but hopefully uh, we all stay safe. All right. If you're listening, keep your family safe. Stay creative. Watch some good movies, and we'll see you next time on Let's Get Into It. Robert's kind of got into it right there. A little emotional feeling.